So hello, we have at least 10 feet in the studio because we have returning guest Claudio, we have new guest Merve from Turkey, Claudio is from Mexico and we have Miki who is from Füzesabon via Budapest but he's not going to be doing too much talking. But he's also a fan of the topic I assembled you guys to discuss which is food even though he's not much of a culinary savant, he's more of a quantity guy as opposed to a quality guy <laughs> but uh, I wanted to ask you guys do you think uh, Hungary has like a nice food culture and if not why not and how could it like improve so this wound up being an incredibly long statement that isn't really a question but um, yeah so Merve how do you think uh, Hungarians have a relationship with food and how does it compare to Turkey do you think well um First of all, Hungarian food, if I must say something about, is not my cup of tea, as I'm vegetarian. And uh, oh yeah. <laughs> so when I think about Hungarian food, first and foremost, I can think about the fat, uh, tomato paste, yeah, and meat mostly. Yeah. So these three doesn't go well with my um, like preferences. But other than that, as a culture, um, well, in Turkey, we like to spend time around the table all together. And this is something that I'm seeing in Hungarian culture as well, especially on like holidays and like this and that. Occasionally, maybe not necessarily every day, but occasionally I see my friends having these like really big uh, family dinners, family breakfast. So there are some similarities, obviously. Uh, also some differences. But uh, when you say, so is it that people take their time with food or is it that the meals are so long that even if you were rushing, it would take you four hours? Um, well, yes and no. Uh, I think food in Turkey is a medium. So you, it's a tool to spend time with each other. Uh, it's how grandmas keep you hostage. Yes, sort of, but in a nice way. <laughs> in a, in, in a, a delicious way. In a delicious way, yeah. yeah. Um, in the house that I grew up, we had some set hours. We always sat together to eat and left the table all together when we were done. You know, the table 
is um, where we discuss about the whole day, how the day has passed, like you, what were the challenges, this and that, like any, every single topic that you can imagine were being discussed at the table. So yeah, I would say it has a really big part in the culture. Mm. Claudio, how about Mexicans and spending time at the table? Well, I can relate. Just listening to your story, then I can relate. And then I can see that Mexicans, it's also like, we call it the sobremesa. So you have the mesa, which is the table, and then you start kind of like, you, you, you over the table. But meaning that you start telling stories, you start telling how the day is going, mm -hmm. if you have any plans. Or in Mexico, I would say even planning more food. So while you're having food, you're constantly thinking, what are we going to have for dinner? Oh, yeah, that's my daily challenge. <laughs> so I guess I can relate or we can relate. We have like similar similar cultures. But I see that, of, of course, Hungarians are also attached to their cuisine or their kitchen. And they like all the Hungarians are always praising everything that is re food related that is Hungarian. Or they can tell you about the paprikas that they use. So you can see that there's some passion also. But of course, different cultures. Our culture is the kind of culture that okay you meet people on the street and then you're like hey how are you you want to hug you want contact you want a little bit more how do you want to call it like spice and with Hungarians it's a little bit different but they're also really passionate about it so everything the the, the, the answer to everything is tefel you can put tefel on everything that's true sunburn tefel everything tefel they always have the answer and they love that so but it's also very fatty as well it's well like it 20 is 20% but at least it's, you know, plant, plant-based and not, no, it's not. It's, it's not. Actually, well, it started no, off as grass and then went through a cow and then became animal <laughs> protein, I guess. I mean, basics for food, of course, you need some sort of fat. But in Hungary, I mean, in Hungary, like, they don't use olive oil as the first option. Grease. It's always, yes, yes, lard, which makes it feel a little bit closer to the Mexican food, but in different places, because also Mexican food is divided in several regions. Mm -hmm. And also we have, for example, Tex-Mex. So what people think is Mexican food, sometimes it's always Tex-Mex or some sort of like a quesadilla with something. And they kind of invent this kind of stuff. But for example, if you see the taco, how the taco is cut like this kind of like durum, like uh, how do you call them? We call them trompos. It's just basically a pile of meat mm -hmm. and then you can cut it from here. Yeah. And then you, you go to Syria, then you see the same. And wh where did this influence kind of came? So it's always like it has interesting facts. And I mean, gastronomy has like huge field like people taking pictures of food just how much money pe people make they do this kind of like podcast or vlogs and they just capitalize on that yeah so it's also some something like a hot topic and it's a constant hot topic like people cannot stop talking about food do you think when you mention gastronomy um i feel that hungary has quite a big divide in how the culture of the restaurant is and how the culture of home dining is even if it's someone even if it's like a prepared if it's not just your average you know evening dinner with the nuclear family but it's you know grandma and everyone traveled from far away and we're making time to sit down and eat i think the restaurant culture is still a very bit like transactional and it has this here's the menu basically the menu is a contract i read what's on it i pay what's there and that's the end of the story and i feel that um because I haven't been to either Mexico or Turkey, but in countries that have, as you said, like more contact, like more spice, like more 
interpersonal, not more direct interpersonal relationships. I feel like the restaurant is also there's people loosen up there a bit more. Like they they have more specific requests or the way they communicate with the waiter is not as if they were at the post office or something mm-hmm. very official. It's much more like you're giving me food. You're doing the most basic of your, you're fulfilling one of my most basic needs. So I'm going to have a level of familiarity of, yes, I'm paying for it. And yes, I'm going to behave because this is a restaurant. It's quasi your house as the person who works in the establishment, but it's much more like this chummy, friendly tone that people take in, in, in Southern countries with the people who serve them food. And I don't know how you, you see this as like in the prof- on the professional gastronomy side, because yes, I, I agree that, you know, gathering around the table is sort of very important for everyone's psyche and not just filling your belly, but like maintaining your connections with your loved ones, etc. But what what happens when people go to a restaurant? Like, is that is that something that's that's a culture that can be adapted? Is it different, you know, different countries? Do Scandinavians, you know, sit with two books under each elbow because, you know, they keep the keep the elbows in and be strict about their food or do you see any kind of variance in this between, let's say, here and, you know, other countries where you've been? Hospitality is a very, I think, fragile topic. my experience in Hungary, uh, I'm saying Hungary because I live here, obviously. Um, when I compare it with my hometown, Turkey. Sorry, where is your hometown? Uh, my hometown is Izmir. I was born and raised in Izmir. I lived in Istanbul. Town, right? It is, it is. It's the closest part to Greece from Turkey. Well, hospitality, it, I think it comes from the culture, to be honest, like um, Hungarian people, like Hungary itself is more individualistic culture. Turkey is more collectivist as well as Mexico. Um, So meaning that uh, people here can be a little more distant and feeling like, especially in hospitality, you, you feel it not just in hospitality, like when you go to Spar or like. I don't know, wherever people are. Anytime served. there's a customer facing yes, situation. Yes. You can okay. call it service. Service. <laughs> okay. General service. Uh, you can feel the difference a little bit, but after a while, obviously, I got used to it. So, I mean, this is the normal here. So uh, it was the first culture shock for, for me, mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess. Um, well, there are differences, but here, if I need to like uh, think about it, within the country, um, I think it's improving because I moved here in 2015. And when I'm like comparing the time, I think it's getting better and better every day. Mm. But does it make it harder to um, give people what they actually wanted to eat? Is it like the lack of because I feel the, the the positive of being extremely direct with the people who are serving you is that you have an idea and the end result, whether you're at the barber or you're getting your car serviced, will be as close to your initial idea as possible because you 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 know you communicated very precisely what you wanted, as opposed to like you basically don't even say anything you just point at the menu and you read a couple of words but you didn't have a discussion with the waiter about like. Yes, it's chicken, but can you tell me a little bit more? Like, where does the chicken like, come uh, from? Like, the interest in the food, <laughs> does that differ? Because of people being more distant and saying, like, I came to a restaurant, I don't want to, you know. Well, 
I wouldn't like to generalize it because sure. obviously I've been to some places where the service was amazing and I've been to these other places where the service was not so great. I, mm. I, I really don't want to generalize it. Uh, but, uh, well, sometimes, of course, the other side's you know, behavior makes sometimes the communication way so harder when mm. it's not in your personal life. Yeah, but I also mean it, it, it could be like the not only the supply of, let's say, um, <laughs> friendliness from the person who works in the service, but also the customers are distant as well, no? Absolutely. But that again, it's a cultural thing, yeah. what you said. So I think also with the culture, it comes this idea that, let's say a restaurant. So you come to the restaurant because you need food. So it's not the other way around. Like you should come here because I have a great idea and you would like it. So there's also the perception of like why people go to the restaurants. Normally people just go to like the cheap place to get whatever and then that's it. But also right now I, I like fine dining. That's basically that that's expensive. And then people need to have an experience to do this kind of thing and to pay this kind of price. But then you can also get authentic with may I, I don't know, it might bring you some memories. I don't know, some recipe that you were cooking with your grandma. So it's also, it's it's again a cultural thing. So I guess Mexicans are so upset with food. Like we think about food the whole time. I don't know how you feel. <laughs> I would say the same personally <laughs> in general to in Turkey as well. I think it's a huge part of the cu culture. Yeah, I think it's so strange that um, both of your countries have their people have a lot more spend a lot more time on let's call it the street mm -hmm. or in public places and it's strange that in Hungarian we don't really have a Hungarian word for street food we just call it street food in Hungarian too because it didn't really evolve like we don't have like like food trucks or didn't have food trucks the only thing would have would be something close to it but even those were actual buildings would be the language places around Balaton but even those were static and not even on the street so I think there's this culture of if you are going to go and pay for food, no matter what price or quality, you're going to enter building and it's not going to be a stall. Or if it is a stall, the maximum would be the candy floss on Margit Sigat. It's nothing substantial. Mm -hmm. And I think there's no intersection between the street life and the food that you're eating, that you just get something and you turn around and there's the neighborhood. Like you're always like isolated from the outside world when you're sitting down, even if it's like a garden place, like maybe in Varsliget, there's a bit of coming and going, but it's never like there's traffic Yeah. and you're standing. Or now, because of COVID last year, all the places opened up street terraces and it looked like, wow, this is, you know, Budapest could be a Mediterranean city. But before that, it was very, you know, non-typical. And it was true. always like, there's a door or you go down into a basement and that's it. Like this is the restaurant and the outside world is none of your business for the rest hour and a half. I don't know if you think that that could sort of play a part in this, that that, you know, that the restaurant is this cut off unit of entertainment for the time you're having food. And it's not not an integral part of the rest of the world for that time. Well, might be. I've never thought that way. But now that you're saying actually makes sense, because again, like <laughs> um, in, in my hometown in Izmir, especially the region called Çeşme, uh, is like Balaton, but with a C. So uh, it's impossible to find an indoor restaurant there. It's like, you know, the chairs and the tables all outside, tiny streets. 
uh, on the right side there's this other restaurant on the left side there's this other restaurant but the guests are sitting all together so yeah yeah maybe maybe it has something to do with that mm. it's less territorial there's more of this everything blends together yes yes yeah. but it also gives the opportunity opportunity to people to like um have discussions and stuff uh, and you just communicate during the yeah and especially if you're like in a neighborhood area and then you walk by a restaurant and you see someone eating it takes a lot more to go inside go up to their table and say hello as opposed to they're just sitting outside and you wave and they're like wave back and then you go over and say hello so i think it's like drinking i don't think hungarians have a problem with public <laughs> drinking in the street but eating is a little bit i don't know why we like it's an indoor sport here that's funny because in, in mexico you're not allowed to drink on the streets like no. at, at all you're not allowed but you that's can the eat. same in hungary but people you know it's a, but you can eat is that so yeah there's a serbian saying it's it's uh, uh they say it's only the law when you say something <laughs> that oh but you're not supposed to do that and yeah. say well it's only the law oh i didn't know that yeah Oops. the police can yeah but uh i think uh yeah so to anyone who's listening which is you know this is a radio so if you're listening don't drink on the street <laughs> and drink in moderation <laughs> same if you go to mexico don't drink on the street and does the paperback thing work there like in the us ah uh, no they will catch you <laughs> they will definitely catch you but i mean also like what you were talking about right now like i think food adapts to the city yeah so turkish people in uh, istanbul or izmir they need they have some different needs in mexico city is the same for example people commuting you have to commute like long distances so basically when you leave your house what's the first thing you do you go grab some food street food because that's what you can find and then it has to be something clever that for example it has to be made out of like a ecological paper or some sort of like something that you can just like wood that you can just throw away or we have like corn husks mm-hmm. so we like to put things in corn husks and we basically steam them like dumplings and then that's quite nice because you get a napkin then you get this you open it and then you can eat it on the way and then you just throw it away and that's it and people have to adapt to this kind of thing so in hungary i don't see people commuting for like three hours to go to work with the necessity of like getting something quick on the way depends people on how will the do. renovation of the landscape is going i guess yeah <laughs> but i mean no but yes in general what she was saying about like coming here that is improving i say the same it's improving i couldn't find avocados in 2014 here you could find them but they were really expensive yeah. so and now it's more ob- like it's it's obvious that many places if you if you go to the market you can expect yeah. that they have avocados yeah avocado, so it has arrived the avocado had a cultural moment in hungarian festival culture because megadeth the famous trash metal band mm-hmm. were here <laughs> playing at a festival and they had avocados on their rider but one of them slipped and i think they didn't they didn't break their leg but something happened and they couldn't play <laughs> Oh, and they no. canceled the concert and the organizer of the festival went on stage and started screaming that we got them everything they wanted they even got avocados <laughs> and, the, and the audience was like Ooh. so yeah that's uh avocados is uh that was five years ago i think so by now i think it would have had less of a of an effect on the on the on the psyche of the people waiting to hear megadeth like yeah, avocados so what so <laughs> they also asked for oranges okay Yeah. But speaking of avocados, um you said you're a vegetarian, so I guess the food you prepare you don't, you know, you're not knee deep in raw meat all day just to no. go home and not no. eat it. Um how do you think um is it because of like uh, animal welfare or sustainability or um Oof, I mean 
Well, first of all, yes, for the animals, because I I think it applies to everyone in this world. You never think that you're eating an animal while you're... Yeah, maybe you do think, but you don't think that, you know, a week ago, maybe that animal was alive. And I'm not looking at eyes, eyes with it mentally while I'm eating it, yes. Yeah, but like, you know, you don't really acknowledge the fact that you pay for someone to kill that animal so you don't need to face with the truth and stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm not going to be dramatic, but yes, yeah. for the animals, first and foremost. But then uh, nowadays, of course, my reason has changed too for ecological sustainability reasons as well. And also for the climate. Uh, but at the very beginning, like I, I think I'm vegetarian about like eight years now. And eight years ago, that was only for animals because it was a shocking moment for me to figure out that, wow, I'm actually eating someone right now. And actually, I could never eat that food <laughs> that I prepared. And how did that like affect um, like for you to make food for other people to consume? I mean, as as someone who just who doesn't do this as a job or like as a means of, you know, making an income, it's it's still a bit it requires some compromises, sure. Yes. But as a means of like, okay, I'm gonna actually start to do this and give it to people to also eat. It narrows down not only your audience, but also the, all the things that like you, I don't know if, if there were things that you were very used to that were like staple foods and you were like, okay, I guess uh, Satan it is from now on or how, how did that, uh, was it a long transition like- or like how much did it require a lot of studying or was it like one day to the next you could, well, my like you're asking about my personal life, yeah, right? Now, not like, the business, right? Well, I could actually. T- it's very interesting to me. How does one make a vegetarian cuisine in Hungary? Like, is it easy enough to get good quality ingredients? Because mm-hmm. people complain that even if you run a meat-based operation, quality is an issue. And then when everything is meat-free, then I guess that becomes even more substantial of a problem. So we can discuss that. But with personal life. I guess like if someone is, you know, very drawn to cooking and I think, I don't know how, um, you know, I, in my mind, Turkish cuisine is very meat based. Yes. So but again, I don't know how breaking free. Yeah. Region. Uh, well, in my hometown, we mostly use meat free dishes because it's more like a Mediterranean cuisine. A lot of salads, tapas, uh, olive oil based uh, foods. Uh, but my personal transition, it, it wasn't that hard, actually. Once I realized this, it, it was actually harder to go back. So like since I realized, <laughs> since I stopped eating, like I never, ever put meat in my mouth ever again. Mm. But were uh, you raised in just the traditional like? Oh, you wouldn't believe my father is from Adana uh in turkey and that place like you eat meat seven times a day for breakfast for like lunch break whatever like you eat meat because if there's no meat on the table it doesn't they wouldn't consider as a meal Mm. like they would say snacks (laughs) if you put salad on the table they would laugh at your face so Mm. this is how i've been raised for i don't know 20 25 years to 23 years and uh, yeah it was really hard to have my parents accept the situation although they didn't need to but like you know at some point you're sharing the table yeah and even in principle like what is wrong with you why would you do this yeah well like especially for my father he couldn't 
really understand the fact that I don't eat meat anymore. Like they would suggest me to eat like, okay, then have some chicken. I'm like, no, thank you. All right, there's fish in the fridge. Do you want me to cook for you? Like these kind of conversations are still happening. Like not from my parents anymore, but like from my grandparents, you know, other relatives whenever I go and visit them. So yeah, it's <laughs> it was weird, but uh, I'm very happy with my decision actually. And about the like business-wise, obviously if I'd be selling meat right now, things would have been much more easier because like you said, I narrowed down my um, like guests. Yeah. Uh, but this is the side that I'd like to stick on because when I wanted to open this coffee shop, like the very first thing in my head was the sustainability. I really don't want to pollute the world more. Like this is my one and only rule. And I'm trying to do it as much as I can. Meat, like being meat free is one thing. Uh, we are also uh, egg free and uh, most of the dairy free. But since we are vegetarian as well, of course, we have like some dairy products. We are not that strict yet, but maybe in the future, maybe step by step, we can go fully vegan. Uh, but for now, I'm very happy with what we are. <laughs> Claudio, is it easy to explain to Mexican elders? I mean, you eat meat, but if you if, we, if you imagined that you were like, okay, I'm done. And then one day you fly home and then there's the spread. I think there's I mean, the mesa and you say, no, thank you. No, they would definitely respect it. I mean, families are different as well. Families were raised different. Families have different ideologies, etc. But when it comes to food, as long as you enjoy it, I think that's the rule for the family. So if they see that, not like, okay, they're not going to be proud that I eat meat or anything. But if I say, like, okay, I'm going to be vegetarian, they would be like, cool, like, it's fine. Like they will adapt, try to be like a little bit supportive with like what they eat, etc. But I think my sister was giving it a try and my father is actually vegan. Really? So I live through, you know, I had my, 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 my season or how I call it and having like a plant-based kind of substitutes, like this kind of tofus or this kind of like, they always say it like meat, mm -hmm. whatever, but it's like some sort of like loin that is basically, you know, soy. Yeah. So this kind of things, like we grew up with it and also like Mexican culture kind of, I mean, you can do it. You have avocado, you have beans, you have uh, chile, you have uh, corn, you have you have a few things that you can use, like tomatoes, you have veggies. So in Mexico, if you go to the north, it's basically meat. That's it. Meat, 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 sausages, meat. If you go to the south, it's more plant based and insect based. So it's also the whole thing about having like these uh, insect farms. And after a week, the grasshoppers will die anyway. So once they die, they put them apart and they kind of cook them with some things and you can have them as a snack mm -hmm. and it's full of protein. And it's nice for them to have this kind of farms because there are communities that are really, really poor. So they really need to do something. And then basically they see it like Earth is giving me their resource. So it's kind of, you know, it's a different mentality, yeah, a different culture, etc. But also like the, the, the idea of the great grandparents, like, okay, you you find it around, so you have fruit, you have this, then you eat this, and then you, you adapt foraging style. Yeah. yeah, but it's the same if you go vegetarian, then you adapt to something. Yeah. So you start just adapting the things you eat, and then yeah, you so will always what, find a niche. What is your what is your ethical opinion on insect based proteins, Marilyn? Is it something that mm. 
I wouldn't personally, I wouldn't choose to eat, but I understand the idea behind it. I think, uh, well, I wouldn't like to say it's better to eat insects than the animals or like the other way around. Um, I rather to not eat any, you know, mm-hmm. like animals in general, insects, animals, whatever. But I understand the idea behind it. I think if I need to choose in between, like if there's no other option in this world, maybe I would go for the insects. Mm-hmm. Sure. Rather than and, the and animals. And Claudio actually raised a very interesting discussion, I think, which is the um, stuff that is trying to pretend to be meat, right? Like a food that is sold as this is vegan sausage or mm-hmm. like a vegan, vegan schnitzel, etc., vegan bacon. Um, and I, I, I tried a few of these and they were always, I think, I think it's the expectation management part that fails because if it was sold as something that is, was its own thing, then the curiosity would be like, oh, I never tried this before. What is this? And then when they told me it's bacon, but not bacon, I'm like, oh, well, you're right. It isn't bacon. And it's this, uh, let down loop that I'm being constantly thrust into. I don't know from like, a a guest perspective is it necessary to call you know vegan sausages vegan sausages instead of just calling it like seitan or is this just a mental switch that once it happens it, it doesn't really matter what you call it well it really doesn't matter actually uh, but on the other hand for example for me uh since i stopped eating egg i was missing it so much especially during the breakfast time and stuff and I really wanted to eat something to like, you know, satisfy me as the egg used to. Uh, now we put this chickpea omelette in the menu. We still call it omelette because it is what it is. And uh, well, the name really doesn't matter actually mm-hmm. because you, well, changing hab- habits and like unlearning stuff can be painful sometimes. I think calling similar names are making this process a little easier than it is so calling something sausage or like meat something meat whatever makes it a little like more familiar and you don't really feel awkward Mm -hmm. is it the texture or the taste that's harder to emulate uh, the texture for sure Mm. the taste you can imitate it because the taste of meat uh, what you're eating is actually the taste of spices. You you don't like the meat meat taste. Yeah, but I guess a little bit the fat as well, no? Uh, but you can always substitute that. Yeah. Like spices and the fat, you can always substitute. So. But the texture, uh, it's really hard to imitate. You really need to play around the recipes and stuff. Um, well, recently we've been <laughs> trying to make this uh, Turkish sausage but vegan in the restaurant and with the chefs like we spent I don't know how many weeks it, like we are always making it trying cooking and what, then what ingredients did you try uh we are trying to make it from satan uh the mm-hmm. taste is exactly the same exactly like if I would put two of them in front of you you wouldn't be able to differentiate but the texture it's really hard to copy mm-hmm and what about the the printed meat? If if it never if it never breathed or had eyes, like you know the 
Like basically, it's. Oof, I don't know. Well, that topic is a little hard for me. Lab, lab grown it's too meat. soon to talk about that. Yeah, I've <laughs> I think recently it's, I think read it's about it. It's easier now that it's like borderline. And we know somewhere in the lab, some scientist in a white coat is experimenting with it. And you know, you have a burger that used to cost $15,000 and now it's only $1,000. And in five years, it will be only $50 or whatever. But I think now it's much more like because it's it's a little bit science fictiony. I think it's easier to debate the ethics of it when it's already on the shelf and you're like, mm. but it's the same logic. People getting used to the thing, whatever mm. it is, they might have to get used to this thing. So if they haven't even wrapped their head around vegan products, yeah, how do you expect them to do like a substitute of a muscle? Like, I think it's an easier sell because they will say it's just like meat, and when they and when you try it. If of course the price is right, then you'll say, "By golly, it is meat because it will be, you know, functionally it will be meat because it ha- will have the same aminos." But there is a market for everything. So, as far as I read about this topic, they are still gonna get some cells and like uh, some parts from the actual animals, and then they're gonna reproduce it in the lab atmosphere, right? Yeah. So we. If this is the scenario, we can't really call it 100% vegan because you're still... No, I don't think they... I, th- I think they just call it lab-grown. And I'm pretty sure they will hire some very smart advertising people to make it sound less like... Yeah. Well, you know, lab-grown sounds very freaky. You're still actually Sci-fi. getting involved yeah. with this like animal habitat or like whatever because... There's only one and I'm, like there's only one question regarding this whole topic. Like if you can live without actually killing harming like abusing animals why wouldn't you mm-hmm. like that that's the sum up for this topic i think because uh when i first went vegetarian that was like all of my parents like families uh you know question mark in their head like they were screaming like holding their heads running from one direction to another like what am i gonna do where's the protein like uh, how am i gonna survive this and that I should use this pill, that pill, this supplement, this supplement. Like all of them were unnecessary. As long as you eat, like have a I don't know normal eating habit. If you don't have any eating disorder, if you still keep eating, you're fine with it. Like you don't really need animal, not at all. Actually, mm. it's more harmful than it's mm, beneficial. Is there a way that? I think that the blame being passed on to the consumer for the climate crisis is a little bit hypocritical because you have all these giant companies of who course. in chasing profit are shaming us for taking, you know, like maybe, you know, the average person, if they take, of course, if there's no COVID, if you take like one or two, but even maybe twice a year a flight, they tell you like, oh, the carbon footprint, you could have driven to Barcelona on that uh-huh. carbon footprint, blah, blah, blah. And then again, you have executives taking, you know, 50 flights a year and you have you know, cargo trips. ships. Yeah, business trips, exactly. To all the all the places, with a lot of sunshine and no conference rooms. Um, and you have, you know, massive cargo ships transporting stuff that we're going to throw out into waste dumps exactly. in two years. Are the same companies that are producing meat now will be shaming us in two years time for eating too much meat and start peddling? Like, well, you I know. hope not because they started this. Yeah. <laughs> but apparently cigarette companies it's are... A, yeah, it's a complex topic. Yeah. <laughs> it is a complex topic. You never know with these companies how just like, I mean, one time they're here, up here, and then suddenly they change and then you never know. 
So. Yeah, but you know, like these small changes, like uh, you don't need to go vegan or vegetarian. Like very, very small changes actually has huge impact in a good way. Like if you stop, I don't know, buying a disposable, uh, like buying coffee from a coffee shop with a disposable cup. Like if you can avoid it, that's already a huge step. Or giving up on straws, that's an amazing, amazing jump, actually. Hmm. Uh, there are many, many things that you can do personally. But isn't there a bit of... I'm going to play devil's advocate, so I'm not trying to be an asshole, even though, you know, on the... Challenge everything. Yes, Just exactly. Challenge everything. Exactly. Yeah, sure. Um, so, yeah, let's say we get rid of uh, straws and plastic cups or, you know, you give people a discount if they bring their own mugs, um, etc. But getting that coffee from Africa or South America and washing it and transporting it, isn't that, you know... Wouldn't it be more sustainable to say, like, look, we have um, we have the coffee that's not as great, but and or, or you say you put a price on it and say, like, OK, we have fake coffee, mm-hmm. which is basically a granulate and it tastes like coffee when you pour water on it. But it didn't travel 7000 kilometers in a diesel powered cargo ship. Uh, well, I'm not sure if you can do such a huge change in your life, especially in your business in 2021. But instead of like going that far, uh, I am uh, doing my part by not using plastic straws, but using glass straws instead Mm -hmm. in the restaurant. Uh, Maybe I cannot give up on coffee, obviously, but um, I'm not harming as much as let's say mm-hmm. I'm working with this local coffee uh, brand uh, everything is like sustainably sourced of course transporting part is a bit skeptical still there's the damage there but still this is this is what I can do and I'm yeah. doing the maximum of it sure I just I, I really like coffee and, and oh, we even like we, 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 we even my girlfriend also you know <laughs> Um, when we, when, when, when we can, um, we try and get like these single origin and then, but because it's quite expensive, we also get like just the supermarket coffee that's mm-hmm. like fifth of the price. And then on the, if we have the time, then we just got the grinder actually. So we, we can actually get the beans and grind it, etc. But, um, see the manual one. Yeah. So it takes. That's the best. It takes a bit. It takes a while. So you work for it. Yes, eighteen grams of coffee in six minutes. It's yeah. It it makes you in the mornings. I'm like, (laughs) come on, come on. But uh, yeah, but even then we have to like supplement it with just the regular like whatever coffee because a it's 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 quite expensive. But also it's like every time I hold one of these in my hand, I'm like, yes, some indigenous person somewhere deep in the forest was like and even though the, the the average like what we call what we call like bad supermarket coffee was made sourced somewhere there is just like the the pictures give me more of a guilt trip with the premium coffee than with the one that only has like this little jacket with a cup on it i don't know i think i think it's um 
it's a moral dilemma because you want you know you want to enjoy fine things but then again as with you know not harming animals you also don't want to but you know you can always work with small companies who are dealing with these kind of issues with like more ethical way more sustainable way um, if you're talking about big companies of course there will be some slavery this and that uh, but with the small companies actually the story is far so different than what's going on with the bigger companies. Mm. So my coffee supplier is uh, like Hungarian and they they're doing everything ethically. You can actually track the, the trace the coffee, mm-hmm. uh, how it was like, you know, um, harvested and stuff. So in that sense, I think I'm... Do you think your customers care? I hope so. <laughs> I'm putting like, so much effort in it. Yeah, I hope so. But if so. you said one day that, okay, this is now 300 forints more expensive because I went to great lengths to secure, you know, cruelty-free coffee, would they say, well, do you have any any of the old stuff? Well, I think specifically my customers, if you're talking about them, wouldn't care because uh majority of them are coming to the store for this reason mm-hmm. just because they like the glass straws and uh, they like the sustainability so if i would tell that story i don't think no one would say like oh why why would you do that like i want to go back to the other product i think they would appreciate yeah, context it. matters for sure yeah i mean so some customers will appreciate it like i have some items from the place you mentioned and but also the, the intention and then you see the concept and it's well thought and then people get attracted you know it's like with flies you have the light and they just come 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 to whatever they like and yeah. of course you will have different niches but i guess what you were mentioning as well like as a society we just have to adapt and in this way you're also adapting people you're educating people into like hey there's an alternative and there's always an alternative to everything so you might not like this but maybe there's a substitute and then again it's adapting what you said about the coffee like okay it's cheaper it's more expensive you have to adapt if you're a student and you have no money maybe you cannot afford that coffee even though you have the intention to do it. Yeah. And then at some point you will afford it and then you will think about it. It's if it's worth it or not, maybe you can travel somewhere and getting cheaper. But again, you're traveling, yeah. but you can I don't know. Actually, Napoli has this custom where you can yeah. buy a, a suspended coffee. Mm-hmm. Where you go, you get a coffee and then you give twice the amount for your usually the espresso and you say that this one is suspended. I forgot what the Italian term is. But basically, at the end of the day or later, someone comes it, in yeah, yeah. that other coffee is for someone who couldn't afford coffee that That's day. That's amazing. That's a small detail that really makes an impact. It's a it's a tiny thing. Yeah. And then it's like with service, like there are so tiny moments that just a little smile, a little politeness, it would just change things. Yeah. So there's actually a startup who are doing the um, if you have too much food left over, they allow businesses to to put it on this site and it's only for that day. So it's like always changing. And as a business, you can register. And if you have leftover food that you would throw out at the end of the day, you can put it up and then you can collect it from, I don't know, usually before you close. It's very similar to when people put out the sign that, you know, 50% off everything mm-hmm. an hour before closing. But this is like, uh, you can reserve it and then you can go pick it up. And it's like students came up I with it because they know. were like- I it's a website. Yeah, I know yeah, yeah. It. yeah. Yeah, so I don't know if, I, I guess all this, because the other thing is, especially in like, even though sometimes it doesn't feel like it, but Hungary is a very developed country. Like, you know, a A-tier developed country in the world, European Union, whatever. And we produce a lot of food waste. 
like people like especially i think i think france is the first one who in in europe who are like doing these things where they put the not so pretty apples on display first and like they tell you to like you know buy the fruits that are a bit squished because nutritionally it doesn't really matter if you're gonna cook it like why do you care if it's not like a stock stock image of that that fruit and um i don't know like um i guess when you go to a restaurant and you ask for a plate it has to be like it has to look so people not necessarily they take a picture of it and they post it on whatever social media that attracts more customers but it it's part of the um the whole it's, service yeah it's part of the experience right yeah. that you get a plate that has it in, in itself the presentation is very appetizing and i don't know how um that affects like food waste like you need to chop off so much of the vegetable that lands somewhere where it's not getting eaten etc oh we have an amazing chef for it she is vegan and she is uh, she would goes unwasted never zero waste well mickey is a zero waste dog (laughs) uh, well he supports he does his part he has a very strict zero waste policy yeah also my dog has the same All, all the pizza crusts in the 13th district end up end up bagged and tagged in your hand yeah well <laughs> yes and then it's been well we're very careful about that actually we are trying to not waste any food and uh, you know according to health and regulation food safety regulations uh, you have a couple of days to sell the food actual food and then it co- although it's perfectly edible you cannot just sell that food yeah so in those cases uh either we eat them or i put them in a takeaway boxes and on my way home I'm giving it to like homeless people and stuff so uh we are very careful about not wasting the food mm. did you see any of this growing up because I have this experience not necessarily in my own home as a kid but at a lot of families that every day you cook something fresh just a because it's you know a gesture or because the way the family is set up if one of the parents is at home then it's expected that the food is freshly pe- prepared and it might not be that you know freshly prepared means you just toss yesterday's mm-hmm. food in a pan and heat it up but you make a new meal every day and that means that kids will be like I don't want what was yesterday what's today I don't know if you guys ever met this in you know in, in your childhoods where where the and it's also a mark of like a middle class existence that we don't need to eat leftovers we can just make new food for dinner every day i think there's i mean it depends how you balance it because of course sometimes you maybe you have a big family and then you have to cook like a big quantity and then no one no one eats it and then you can try to keep it but then after a couple of days you know but you can always find it i mean if you make a lot and then suddenly they don't finish it you can always ask a neighbor we try to do that sometimes with friends like hey we have this like like potluck and then you exchange things yeah which i think it also makes sense but again it's also creating a sense of like a community helping each other kind of uh, education because the more you educate people on the topic then they will learn about it and they will get curious and they will find new ideas mm. so the more people you can have on this like making an impact like a good impact the better yeah but, well when i went to primary school we had technic oda which was you know making a uh, like one of these shoe like the thing that helps you put the shoe on like a shoe horn yeah mm-hmm. the shoe horn out of plastic for the boys and it was housekeeping for the girls so i don't know 
in your respective countries. Boys were never taught how to cook in school, but girls were like, this is how you operate like a gas stove or like how you, you know, you mend the sock or something. I don't know. Those things are useful. If you know how to cook, if you know how to clean, if you know how to do whatever thing around the house. I like have not survival. made a shoehorn since. I'll be honest <laughs> with you, I have not. I, that's the one time I made it. It wasn't a very good shoehorn either. But you can also not put it like, okay, this is blue or pink, like to separate it. Or this is like this and like that. And this is for you and this is not for you. I, I learned doing all of these things as a kid. I was raised yeah. by my mom and my grandma. So they were constantly pushing me like, okay, you have to learn how to iron, for instance. So those are skills that will serve you at some point. So okay. in life, you will be useful. You can do certain things. And then we have this say in Mexico that is related with food that if you know, if you want to get married, you need to know how to cook rice. If you don't know how to cook rice, then you cannot get married, which is kind of a funny thing. And then all the Mexican kids are taught how to cook rice because that's a skill that you can have at some point. So, but it's again, a cultural thing, (laughs) different cultures. Yeah. I think fortunately there is this shift in like this, like manliness is no longer just going to the mine and then coming home and expecting food to be on the table. But now, you know, like grilling has become this. Well, you know, one of the most famous <laughs> Turkish people in the world, the snoozer Ed guy, who's like yes, that. Yeah. Okay, I think I think there's something wrong with that guy. The way he slaps meat, it's, oh. it's just like so kinky. Let's not yes, start. Yes, that. moving on, moving on <laughs> from Salt Bay. No, but I think that that uh, like like you know like like wearing an apron is no longer considered a feminine trait anymore. Being a papuch. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> but uh, I try I try and sometimes expand my boundaries, but I think it's. Uh, I think, I think Are you still talking about the kinky part? No. Okay. Oh, about cooking. Then move on. I don't slap <laughs> the meat. I cook some meat, but I never. You Thank know, God. I don't play with my food like that guy. <laughs> it's not part of normal formal education, no. Like making food for not yourself. Not really. Not in Turkey. In Mexico, it is. Yeah. So from secondary school, you can choose some sort of like, we call it taller, which is like a workshop, mm-hmm. oh. and then you can choose, I think, karate, uh, dancing, theater, and uh, cooking. That's amazing. Wow. And imagine just like a bunch of like, I don't know, 12 year olds, 13 year olds, like trying to break some eggs and trying to come up with some dishes. That's nice that I kind of like that idea. And you can become a teacher who is specialized in teaching kids how to cook. Or is there like a local chef You need chef to be comes... patient. <laughs> if you're dealing <laughs> yeah, with kids, you always, I guess you really need to be patient. Being, you know, knowing how to cook like haute cuisine. Dishes. Well, it's someone that had like, I'm passionate about food. I'm I'm talking about food the whole time. Now, right now. So <laughs> So for example, I met those those teachers that were I don't know, they cooked their whole life and they were chefs or they were cooks or mm-hmm. however you want to call it. And then their vocation was to teach kids how to do it because they thought it would be fun. And then maybe those kids want to do something for the for the I mean for her for parents where they can just uh, teach some friends how to do it. And it's also like a nice gesture, like to give back, to give a little back. And when I was going to this uh, workshop, I realized that the teacher that gave it to me also gave it to my mom. So I had this like generational connection that, oh, you taught my mom how to cook. And now you're teaching me how to cook. And this also grandma was there. So, you know, it's it's just adding things to your, I, I call it always the bag. My life is a bag and I just add things. So all of these things like skills, cooking, etc., always add it to your bag. Wow. It's really sweet. Yeah. Um, let me check the time, because that would be a lovely thought to end on after all the... <laughs> after all the Claudio, that's a lovely thought to end on. Thank you very much. Thank you for coming, Mere. Thank you for coming. Thank you for, thank inviting. You for inviting us. Miki, thank you for...
Yes. Exactly. That was yes. perfect timing. Thank you for assisting with the show today. This has been another discussion about, uh, I guess, just general stuff and eating. Uh, what are you having for dinner? Uh, there was some salmon, but I ate it. <laughs> and uh, my girlfriend was a little bit upset. So we still have the potatoes. So we'll we'll need to find out what is what is for dinner, guys. I'm is like after all these like Mexican food thing. I think I'm gonna go for Mexican food today. Seriously. <laughs> I have no idea what I will make, but I will I will make something. All or, right. Yeah. This show, by the way, airs at ten thirty in the morning. So it's it's we're nearing to lunchtime. <laughs> so everybody who listened, thank you for listening. Enjoy your lunch, whether it has meat or not. You know. You try, it. Yeah. <laughs> no matter what the being is, try to be nice to it. And uh, we'll see you guys in two weeks' time. Take care. Bye. Ciao. Bye. <laughs> bye.